0: I've been telling you about steel products for well over four years, actually longer than that, because steel's been a great partner of the Rockies on television for years and years and years. And their products are outstanding. And periodically, I like to go on their website, steelusa.com again, S T I H L and just look at all of the different tools they have. And I'll be honest, a lot of times I'll go, I want that one. I want that one. Some of them I don't really need, but I have some that you find projects for and you go, wow, there's a great use for that. They have handheld vacuums, handheld pruners, so many great battery-powered products. And and it goes all the way up to huge chainsaws, as you know. If you need uh, a new product to cut your grass... They've got it, as I talked about, pruning, anything to do with outdoor stuff around the house. They've got it. They're the best in the business. It's that simple. I don't need to sell you any other way. Steel USA, S-T-I-H-L. Again, it's a a smorgasbord of great products. Go check them out. And they have more than 10,000 dealers around the country. So you know there's one right around the corner from you. You can check out uh, all their sites at steeldealers.com. Dot com. They're the best. This week on the Drew Goodman
1: Podcast, Drew catches up with the legendary Eric Young, remembering that great Eric Young moment. Where people in their classroom had TVs. They shut down t- the, the schools so they could have the game, and I love it. I'm not going to lie when they show the highlight each and every time because... That was the moment that the love, bond, that we always cherish.
0: College football is here, and it's prime time in Boulder. But could all the hype backfire? There's a target on their back. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts, and tell everyone in the break room about it. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is show number 217. Glad, as always, that you're along with us. Looking forward to hearing from EY. A little bit later on uh, in this program, Eric Young will always be a huge sports hero in Denver, but we'll get to EY uh, in a little bit, now a member of the Atlanta Braves organization. Braves in town, as we tape this on a Wednesday, they're a juggernaut, man. They're unbelievable. They're the best offensive team that I can recall seeing in all of my years Following baseball, going back uh, to watching the Mets as a kid in New York in the late sixties, all the way forward to, you know, the past quarter century, uh, covering the sport on a day to day basis. They're the best offensive team I've seen, especially when it comes to hitting the ball over the wall. Uh, They're probably going to set a major league record for home runs. It was set by the Twins uh, four years ago when they hit 307. They're right on that pace right now to hit, think about it, 307 home runs. And Marcelo Suna on Tuesday night hit his 30th of the year. This is a guy that was almost released in April because he was hitting like half his body weight. He was not good. Got off to a really slow start. They were going to get rid of Marcel Osuna. And I know Osuna's been a controversial figure of late, and I'm not going to delve into that. But I will tell you that um, contrary to maybe things you heard in the past about him not being a great teammate, uh, quite the contrary, evidently. And everybody I've talked to uh, in Atlanta, going back to June when the Rockies were down uh, in Georgia playing the Braves, said he's been great. In fact, Matt Olson had gone through a a tough period, and he says he got right working with Marcelo Zuna in the cage. And the same thing was said by Michael Harris, who got off to a slow start this year in his second year in the big leagues after being a sensation last year and a rookie of the year. Uh, He spent time in the cage with Marcelo Zuna. And so uh, here's a guy that... Uh, has turned his season around 30 home runs as we speak. Of course, Matt Olson has 43. Uh, you know, Austin Riley's over the 30 homer mark. I mean, the first seven guys in their lineup all have at least 20 homers. They're, they're ridiculously good uh, offensively. And we'll see, because you never know what happens in October, uh, but you got to like their chances of uh, maybe capturing another World Series. Of course, they just uh, got one a couple of years ago. On Monday, was it Monday or no, it was, yeah, it was Monday at the ballpark. It, when we go to commercial break, um, I'm usually looking down or, or on my computer, uh, looking up, uh, you know, some stats or, or checking some notes while we have a minute and a half before we come back from commercial break. And I happen to look up late in the commercial break um, and I see all this commotion and out in right center field. And I'm sure you've read about this if you didn't watch it, uh, at least in real time. I'm sure you've probably seen it on social media now. There were a couple of fans that came on the field at Coors Field on Monday night with Ronald Acuna Jr., who's having an otherworldly season. And one fan, at least according to Acuna, and, and the first shot you could tell of this first picture, he was trying to get a selfie with him. And Ronald Acuna Jr. looked like he was accommodating him, and then security got there, and then there was another uh, overzealous fan on the field, and and he got tackled somewhat into Acuna. So when I look up, I see Acuna Jr. on the ground. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And he obviously, fortunately, was okay, and security – took the two guys off the field. There was a third, um, minor that jumped on the field, jumped back in the stands and, and he was, um, met also by security. Uh, one, the, one of the fans you could tell was resisting and, and had to be carried off and he's flailing his arms and his legs. Maybe I'm getting more conservative in my old age. Um, but my young age, I'm not old, uh, There's no place for this. There's absolutely no place for it. It's not funny. It's not entertaining. It's dangerous for the players. The only people who belong on the field are the players and coaches once the game commences. That's it. End of subject. And I talked to Brian Snicker yesterday, and he told Ronald after the game, he said, you know, you can't engage if this were to ever happen again. You have to run away. You don't know what these fans are going to do. It made me think of Monica Sellis many years ago when she got stabbed and, and she's sitting courtside in between games and she got stabbed. And she was great, 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 great. And it doesn't matter if she was just mediocre or journeyman. That That's irrelevant, clearly. She was never quite the same. And she dealt with depression and anxiety and and many other issues after that attack on the court. You have no business on the field. And I hope that when this stuff occurs, that the judicial system will absolutely throw the book at these people who go out there. And are they inebriated? Maybe. Are they drugged up? Perhaps. No excuse. You don't belong out there. And I'll take it one step further. We see this, I think, most frequently in the NBA because of the proximity of the fans to the court. And some fans believe that because I buy a ticket, I can say whatever the heck I want. I don't buy that. Do you have the right to boo? Yes. You've heard me pontificate on this subject in the past where I say I'm not big on booing unless you're just seeing horrendous effort. Otherwise, nobody goes out there and tries to play poorly. How many times have you heard me say, the pitcher didn't wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I want to go out tonight, and when I get the baseball, if I get the baseball, I want to walk three guys in a row and see how that plays. Nobody does that. No hitter goes up to the plate and says, you know what, I wonder what it'll be like to punch out four times tonight. Nobody wants to suck, but they're on the stage. They're in the battle. It takes courage to go out there and try to perform, especially at the highest level when you have a ton of fans looking in or looking in on television. So going back to the NBA, can you boo? Sure. Again, not a big proponent of it. Can you, um, you know, maybe ride some players in a creative way? Okay. Not my thing. That's fine. But if you're using vulgarity and it's pointed and it's nasty, throw those people the hell out of the arena. There's no place for it. You are now infringing on my enjoyment of watching the game because you're making it uncomfortable. And again, don't give me that crap line, I buy a ticket, I can say whatever I want. No, you can't. And I hope that teams are going to come down harder on those folks and eject them from the arena. There's no place for it. And again, running on the court, running on the field, dangerous. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. And and Acuna, I know he was trying to be a good guy and be accommodating. You can't do that. You can't take a picture because some fan runs on the field. And then next thing you know is we'll be seeing it every other day. Some fan trying to attach it to their social media account and get their, you know, 15 seconds of fame. All right. Off that soapbox. Did I tell you the Braves are really good? Man. This is a good period, though, for the Rockies in that you're learning about young players. Most nights they've had five rookies uh, in the lineup. And you are learning what it takes to be a a 95, 100 plus win team. And those young individuals are learning what it looks like to be that kind of team. And so it is instructive for the Doyles of the world and the Nolan Jones and the Ezekiel Tovars of the world. And yeah, there's there's a price you pay. It's painful going through this, but it's a necessary process to getting back to being a postseason contender. We saw it a decade ago with Houston. They had three straight 100 loss seasons. We saw it with the Baltimore Orioles. They're only a couple of years removed from losing 110 games in a season or 111. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's no fun. But I think from just from what I'm gathering and talking to some people, I think fans now have a general, a genuine interest and intrigue with some of these young guys that we have spent a lot of time this summer talking about, not only on this podcast, but on television, that you hope are the next generation of winning players with the Rockies. And the latest they brought up was I, I kiddingly call him my nephew, especially the way he's performing so far, Hunter Goodman. Hunter Goodman is a kid out of the University of Memphis, wasn't widely recruited. He's from the Memphis area. He was a good high school player, naturally, but you know had kind of lower D1 offers, ends up at the University of Memphis. He's a freshman All-American there with Pop. Next year, he's a regular All-American. There was a COVID year mixed in there also. Uh, he was a good student in college, goes to pro ball. Rockies take him uh, as a fourth-round pick. And all he's ever done is hit and hit homers. Over 30 homers last year, over 30 homers this year. When the Rockies called him up from A, the numbers were ridiculous. He had played 15 games at A. He had nine homers and he had driven in 33. Crazy. And in his first three games, as we tape this, he has five hits and 11 at-bats. He had a triple off the uh Wall last night, there would have been a home run in 27 of the 30 ballparks. Almost did a home run in his, in his first major league at bat in Baltimore. Cedric Mullins caught the ball at the top of the wall. And he looks comfortable. He's hit the ball hard. He stayed in the middle of the field. He's handled first base, at least so far, adequately. He could be a guy for the Rockies. And I know it's only three games in. But I know that, you know, Ryan Spilberg, for instance, Spilly's, you know, he can be really critical on hitters and what he sees. And he loves what he sees. He's made comparisons, if you look at the setup, and it's, I think, bona fide to the setup and the approach of Justin Turner. looks really similar side by side. Now, we can only hope he has the same results over a number of years that justin turner has had but uh, i'm excited about hunter goodman and people on social media go "Is he related to you you damn right he's related to me if he keeps hitting we'll find a way i'll do that genealogy uh what is it whatever that app is you can send out and and find out you know who's who's related to you and your background and everything. But anyhow, congrats to Hunter Goodman. He's off to a, a nice start so far in his big league career. All right. I am so fired up, man. This weekend, college football starts in earnest. Caught a little college football last weekend from Dublin. Notre Dame got the flying start against the Naval Academy. Uh, that was fun to see college football get going. But this week, it begins in earnest. And the first game of the day on Saturday, May be the most intriguing of the weekend, not just for folks in the Rocky Mountain region, but around the country. Because Deion Sanders and the CU Buffs will be in Fort Worth to take on the team that was in the national championship game a year ago, the Horn Frogs of TCU. And they come in nationally ranked. And no team made a bigger splash over the last nine months than CU. In fact, what they've done is unprecedented. They took advantage of of leniency in the transfer portal rules for a couple of years, and they really remade their whole roster. In fact, and I have the final numbers here. There are only ten scholarship players left from the one and eleven team of last year. They have eighty six new football players. Now, with that, brings a lot of questions and concerns, and I've touched on this a little bit in the lead up to this college football season. I don't know how successful, even if you've upgraded the talent, how successful immediately you can be when none of those guys have played together, have played in the system offensively and defensively that they currently are in. And I know maybe there's there's some of the kids, I think there's nine kids from Jackson State, nine or 11, um, that came and so maybe they're somewhat familiar with some of the schemes but it, you know it's different especially offensively in that deion sanders went and hired the head coach at uh, kent state to be his offensive coordinator and that means the ball's going to be if, if you watch kent state or know anything about them ball's going to be in the air um, it's going to be uh, in theory, a really high-paced offense. And hopefully it's a high-powered one uh, as well, right? But, you know, there's concern when there's that many new faces. And I'll tell you something else, and I think you've been able to glean this. Because Dion brings so much attention and because he is unabashed in his confidence, not when we're going to get it done or if we're going to get it done, it's like we'll get it done. And he makes it sound like it's going to happen from Jump Street, even though Vegas has the uh, over under at three and a half wins this year for Colorado. And they have a very tough schedule in this final season in the Pac 12. But there, there's now a target on the back like we've never seen on a one and 11 team. They were an awful one and 11 team. Is it, is it possible to be a, a pretty good one and 11 team? I don't know. But of one and 11 teams, they, even other 1-11 teams go, man, they're really bad. They I think the average losing last year by close to 30 points a game, I, I don't need to rehash it. it. It's been a really dark period in CU Buffs football, and I'm excited. Don't mistake what I'm saying. I'm excited about Deion Sanders being there. I am intrigued like I haven't been in such a long time to see what it looks like. I know all of you feel the same way. I mean, 10 a.m. Mountain Time on Saturday, I'm all in. I'm not going to mosey up to the TV at 10.10. Alarms are going to be set. Bells are going to go off. I can't wait to watch CU and TCU. And I hope it goes splendidly well. I really do. But there's a target on their back because of... You know, Deion Sanders, because there's coaches around the country every once in a while that have said things in the offseason that have been uh, dismissive of Deion or the under the vein of, I'm a little tired of hearing about this 1 11 team. I'm a little over hearing about Colorado. Even heard a little bit from. From Jay Norvell. He was asked about the Buffs on a radio show this past week, and he said, I could care less about Colorado right now. And Jay, who's so classy, um, you know, cleaned it up a little bit and said, listen, our our focus is on Washington State. That's who we open with. And then in a couple of weeks when we get ready to play Colorado, that's when we'll refocus on Colorado. But you know, uh, especially being an hour north in Fort Collins, uh, they don't want to hear about it. And, and, and there's coaches around the country that, A, don't want to hear about it. B, though, they're going to be looking in and saying, could they remake this whole roster and all of a sudden turn around and become formidable with all these new guys in less than a year? Once again, I'll repeat. I can't tell you the last time that I was more looking forward, excited, and intrigued to watch Colorado play a football game, and I know you feel the same way. I, I watched Dion's press conference midweek this week, and I, I want to say this first of all: uh, got great respect for him. Don't always agree with everything he said. I've said that I didn't like that he, you know, publicly admonished the kids on the roster from last year. I, that wasn't necessary. Even if he wanted to, in quotations, even though I don't like this term, I'll use it, run guys off because he was changing out the talent level. He has every right to do that. Coaches are paid to win. Um, and, and their, their job is to appraise talent. And if they feel they can bring in somebody better, they're going to do it. But you don't have to publicly put down a group of guys. We could have heard through the grapevine, oh man, all these guys are transferring. That's fine. But again, I didn't I didn't like how he went through that. He showed up at the press conference and Dion's Dion, man. And and I don't like when everybody is homogenous and it looks the same and acts the same and so on. <laughs> but I've always had this pet peeve. It goes back to I'll share with you. Um, I'm going to name drop here for a second. So I got my start in this business. I was really fortunate. My first job was in Aspen, Colorado, trekked across the country uh, from New York. There was a small television station, KSPN TV in Aspen, sister radio station, KSPN FM. And they hired me uh, to be one of the sports guys. And they did news Out of our studio in Aspen, we had a bail bureau and we were on the cable system back in Denver. For those people that were around in the 80s, perhaps you remember. To supplement my meager income, I got a job training people at the Aspen Club. It also provided me a place where I could work out. And it was a who's who of people running through the Aspen Club back then, just like Aspen is now. It's the playground of the uber, uber wealthy and famous. And so, if you saw somebody working out in the Aspen Club and you said, boy, that looks like so-and-so, probably was. I remember one time I, I, I walked in there and, and uh, I was getting ready to, to do my shift and I walk in the weight room and and from behind, I can see this guy doing lat pull-downs and, and he was wearing, you know, a pretty small type of shirt where, you know, you can see most of his back and I'm like, my God, this guy's enormous. And so, I kind of Worked my way around to the front of the machine, trying to be discreet, and it was Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's the kind of person that was frequenting Aspen back in the day. One of the people that also frequented uh, the Aspen Club was Jane Fonda. And Jane Fonda was doing those Jane Fonda videos back then and she was collecting information. In fact, at one point she asked me, hey, what, what are good tricep exercises? Pretty funny. Um, but Jane Fonda was always working out in sunglasses. Now I'm warming to the whole point of this damn story. She had sunglasses on. And I always felt like, why do famous people wear sunglasses indoors as if to say, well, if I'm wearing sunglasses, no one will recognize me. All sunglasses do is draw further attention to yourself. I know there's that rare person that needs to wear them inside because maybe the, the, the lighting, uh, you know, uh, they have some sort of issue and and so they need to protect their eyes. Probably rare. Dion shows up at his press conference in sunglasses. I think they are mirror sunglasses. It looks good, man. He looks cool. Dion always looks great. I know he's dealing with the, the foot issue, but, you know, Dion's prime time and, And he's one of the great athletes uh, we've seen produced in the last 50 years, was a great football player, obviously, was a really good baseball player also. But I'm like, why are you wearing sunglasses inside? And then it came out also that there's this rumor out there, I guess Erin Andrews, and she's well-informed, the Fox reporter said that the Buffs are going to come out of the tunnel at TCU on Saturday morning in sunglasses, that it's, I, I don't know if it's some bigger NIL deal. I have no idea. But if that occurs, I'm like, boy, oh boy, you better win. You better be good. I, it, I mean, guys are getting ready to play, you're in a frenzy. You're getting fired up, and it's like, hey, everybody, make sure you put on your your uh, sunglasses that were supplied to us um, by Maui Jim or whoever it is. You kidding me? University of Miami got away with getting off the chartered aircraft and fatigues back in the Canes heyday because they won. You can get away with a lot of stuff when you win. We'll see what happens on, uh, on Saturday if they do come out of the tunnel in, in sunglasses. But anyhow, why are you wearing sunglasses inside? Anyhow, back to the press conference. Uh, I, I like some of the things that uh, Dion said. First of all, he loves he loves his team, which probably puts even more pressure on him. He was talking about his running backs. Goes, I love the running back rooms. Talking about his two edge edge guys. He goes, I think both those guys are going to have double digit sack totals. That's a lot in a twelve game season. You get ten sacks in a in a twelve game college football season. Man, oh man, that's a lot. Two of those guys, I hope he's right. Talked about other guys on the defensive line. Talked about the competition at at one of the corner spots. He likes this group, loves his wide receivers. That's awesome. And now, of course, you got to go back it up. I do like many of the things he said. Um, He said, if you're just leading a kid down a football path, as a coach, you're missing it. It's about so many other things. And I know a lot of coaches pay lip service to that. You know, we're trying to build young men and trying to teach them about many things beyond the game of football. But when Dion says it, I believe it. And from what we can derive from his short time at Jackson State, there's a lot of truth to uh, how he went about his business there in mentoring young kids. He was also asked, I got a chuckle out of this. He was also asked at that press conference about pressure, something I'm talking about, I guess, of coming out of that tunnel and being a major college football coach, a power five football coach for the first time. And he laughed and he said, first of all, this is and will always be about the kids, not about me, though, you know, some of Dion's actions do make it about him. Um, sunglasses inside. Side. He said, I played in Super Bowl, I played in the World Series. I've been on that stage. And he's right. He has. So I don't think Dion's going to be blown away by the level of football that he's now coaching at. And by all indications, he's assembled a really good staff. But it's intriguing. It comes back to that that whole thing. This this is going to be fascinating. And it's going to be fascinating behind. Beyond, I should say, the first glimpse on Saturday against a TCU team that lost a lot of players but has recruited really well and has played at a high level uh, for several years. But um, we'll all be watching, especially when they come out of the tunnel if they have sunglasses on. On to the Broncos uh, briefly. The cuts were made throughout football to get to that 53-man roster and... You know, the Broncos' wide receiver room, because of injury, remains in flux. Jerry Judy's going to be out uh, for a little bit. We'll see if they uh, pick some guys up on the waiver wire. It's something to watch. Albert O, oh, who had the huge final preseason game when the Broncos scored 41 points, we've seen him flash before. There's always been criticism of his consistency and his ability uh, in the in the run game to, to be an effective blocker. Uh, I guess that um, Sean Payton believed they could do better and they made a trade and he was sent to Philadelphia for a late-round pick, swap of a late-round pick. One of the other intriguing things that that took place is familiarity is something that's really important with coaches. When you know an athlete because you've coached them before and you like them, you gravitate to them if they're available. And that's why he went and got Will Lutz, the kicker, who he had in New Orleans. And the money ultimately is not that much different than what McManus the best I can glean was going to make and was let go. So we'll see how that works out. We all love kickers until they miss the game-winning kick or they miss a key extra point. So Will Lutz now takes over uh, for the Broncos. All right, shifting back to baseball, I always love visiting with uh, Eric Young Sr. Um, And he'll always be an iconic figure, sports figure in Denver and maybe even beyond. Baseball's a big deal. All four major sports are a big deal. Baseball, because it's played every single day for six months. And even if you are not an ardent baseball fan, you've taken your family to games because it's an activity, it's wholesome, and and it also signifies to a city, I think, that you've arrived as a major metropolis. And you go back to the early nineties. And at the time, this city had the Broncos from the early sixties, and it'll always be a pro football town. Number one, I believe. And it had the Denver Nuggets, you know, going back to the ABA days and the Nuggets, you know, had seen a modicum of success, but not big, big time success. In fact, we know they just won their first ever world championship. Took a long time, took half a century. But again, in the early 90s, there were two teams. And then Major League Baseball awarded, rightfully so, this region and our city, a baseball team. Big deal. And though they opened in New York against the Mets and against Dwight Gooden, and that series did not go well, you're an expansion team, right? Against an established team. They came home to play the Montreal Expos at the interim stadium, Mile High Stadium. Yes, the home of the Broncos which uh, could also be a baseball ballpark. The Denver Bears played there. Denver Zephyrs played there. And Eric Young Jr. against Kent Pottenfeld, Eric Young Sr. against Kent Pottenfeld, hits a home run in his first at bat. First home game in front of 80,277. And it became one of the great and most memorable sports moments in the history of this region. And I don't know if everybody there who witnessed it or watched it on television realized how big and how sustaining that one moment in time would be. But it raised Eric Young's stature in our city to icon forever. And he did a lot of good things in the game. And he had a long career. He stole a lot of bases, hit well, played for several teams. Eric Young, you can look this up on Baseball Reference, really, really good career. But we will always, always remember him for that one moment in time. He's now the Atlanta Braves first base coach. He stayed in the game. He is a wonderful, wonderful guy and I always love catching up. And I think you'll enjoy uh, this look back with EY.
1: You know where you what where you are now? What am I? You're a lifer. I, I believe it, and I love it too. Yeah.
0: <laughs> did, so when you were playing, did you think, shoot, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna get into coaching? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in this game forever.
1: Well, I, I wouldn't say forever because you know I had my, my, my boy, uh, I had juniors, so at the time, so. But I realized as I got older in my career that I would want to coach and manage possibly one day. Uh, I've always been a leader type of guy. Everywhere when I played, uh, when I was a little kid, high school, uh, college, I was always like a leader type guy. So I think um, I have the ability, especially with the experience, of managing one day. So I think I think that's my ultimate goal.
0: Is it always special coming back here?
1: Without a doubt. I mean, it's it's. I don't think many people understand. Like when I touch down in Denver. It's, it's just a feeling of belonging belonging and belonging to the city. Uh, it's just a special feeling I get that comes over me especially when I walk through the doors here in Colorado and then to get in the locker room you know even though it's the opposing locker room but just to, it's a different feel than I get than any other stadium and I've been with I've been with some teams but I had the most time here. I had the most fun here. I was loved the most by the fans here. Uh, those things, you know, it's just not coincidence. It's just it's, it's, it's a meaning of uh, this is where I belong. You know.
0: it, is it wild to you that I'm sure, because we talked about it in the past, people still come up to you and bring up, and you had a hell of a career well beyond that one at bat on opening day at home in 93, but that people... At least out here, that is what they remember most. Even though you played a long, long time and accomplished a lot of great things in the
1: game, Well, I, I think that that home run, the, the, the build-up, the anticipation, uh, the happiness of finally getting a base, major league baseball team—the moment was bigger than any other moment to me in my career here. Uh, you're right; I did other things, but just the whole total build up timing uh, of the first batter hitting a home run where people in their classroom had TVs they shut down the the schools so they could have the game on that one game was bigger than any game that I ever played we played in the playoffs here But that game right there, when you think about 80,000 in the stadium, that'll never happen again. And then you're talking about everybody in Denver and the surrounding states. Like, yeah, that moment is something that everybody will cherish and remember because the kids that were in school, their parents were talking about it their whole life. And now they're old enough, they realize, I'm a Rocky fan. EY, they just remember that moment. So that's why... I still get that response, and, 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 and I love it. I'm not going to lie, when they show the highlight each and every time, because that was the moment that the love and the bond that we always cherish. You're not only a part of Rocky's
0: history, you're a part of Colorado history. You really are. Wow. <laughs> well, I mean, think about it, what you just described. Because people may not have been huge Baseball fans, but they were going to watch, especially the the first home game, and see what it was all about. And then this happens. I don't know if I've ever asked you this. When you hit it, because it's not like you, you know, you were uh, Matt Olson, right, or 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 Freddie, or you know, one of these guys. That when they hit it, they start jogging because they know they hit it. When you hit it, did you go shoot? Is that extra base, or did I hit it out?
1: I, you know, I started running. I was just hoping I would be on base because we wanted to jumpstart the offense. We didn't do that well in New York, so. When I hit it, I didn't think I got it all, so that's why I was running real hard. And once I seen the the number and Vanderwall name on his jersey, I said, "Uh oh, I got a shot." He's still going. And uh, when I hit it, not knowing what it meant, I just thought it was one nothing Colorado Rockies over the Expos. You know, hey, we okay. I did what i supposed to do. i jump started this crowd, and you know, everybody's rocking and rolling. But that home run has meant a lot to a lot of people, more than I ever know. But that's why the response and remembrance and the love and appreciation, you know, people really waited for baseball to come here to Colorado. So when I think about the history that's what's so important because so many people still remember that home run. I don't care if they're older than me or younger than me. They remember that moment. And that's why it's always it's, it's special. It's like people say, use the word special for a lot of things. Like when I think about my career, after I got through playing and I had time to assess it, when I was in the booth at ESPN, I can remember. I realized the love when I came back even more so for my son. You know what I'm saying? So it's something like there's a special, something special going on when I come here and, and, the, and the way the people show me love each and every time no matter what uniform I had on they were showing me love and appreciation was standing low and and I get so many people over there at first base like I go over and greet people because our team back in the day we made sure there was a bond there was a, a, a approachable feeling amongst the fans and the players you know so i don't know if they're doing it now but we were we were attached to fans like they knew he was my guy tante's their guy the guy you know we were all their guys but they had a special guy right and we knew that does this team
0: that you're part of right now who and i said this on the air the other night you can make an argument this is a this is one of the greatest offensive teams of all time. Now, you were with the Blake Street Bombers, and when Walk shows up, and all the guys you just mentioned, and Burks, and does it remind you a little bit the way you guys hit home runs with the Atlanta Braves to back in the day with the Rockies?
1: Well, it reminds me in some some instances. We Remember that team? We had over two hundred home runs, over two hundred stolen bases. We were explosive, not only with our bats, with our legs as well. This team, we might have three guys that still bases, uh, with Ronald Cuenca being the leader, of course. But that team we had—I mean, I mean—I think we had like we had guys over forty. We had about four or five guys over forty home runs. This team reminds me of it in the sense that we do hit a lot of home runs, but I don't know. That officer team back in 96 was one of the best I've ever been around. And they, somebody asked me today, what about your stolen bases? You, you know, you had 53 here. That year. I said, there was a lot of times I stopped running because we had boys that was coming behind that was hot. And I had to give them a the chance to do what they do and get paid to do. And that's driving me in. So I didn't run as much. I didn't take the chance.
0: I brought this up too. I said it's amazing. Acuna, as we speak, has 61 bags. And I said, you know, there's probably times where he's looking in there and he's like, "Okay, Ozzy's at the plate. You got Matt Olson at the plate. You got your big third baseman Austin Riley at the plate." And it's like, probably not a. I'm in scoring position right now,
1: right? Yes, and and, and that's that's one thing we have to talk about. Like I'm constantly asking how he's feel. How, how does he feel? I'm constantly seeing who's behind him, who's hot, and who's not. I'm constantly looking at the pitcher. If he's a dominant pitcher, he's a number one, you know, number two type of guys. It probably won't be that many runs scored, so we might have to manufacture in a different way and just rely on the home run. So I take all those factors into play, and I relay into him in a special way that is not overwhelming. So he understands when I'm stopping, why I'm stopping. You know, when we could take this chance, when we shouldn't take this chance, and that's been the maturation of Ramon Cunha this year, and that's why you see a lot of bags.
0: Special talent, isn't it?
1: Very special. One of those players, like, when I think about special and 5-2 players that we talk about, Lyon Walker comes to mind, and he does too.
0: Right, right. How, uh, how neat is it? How proud are you of the first base coach of the Washington Nationals?
1: Oh, my God. My chest just stands out a little, especially when we play them. Uh, I wish he wasn't in the same division because, you know, I have, the, I have the, the table talk. You know, you want to listen to my stories more. So, um, But uh, he's doing a wonderful job over there. Those guys are playing really hard. And, uh, you know, I pretty much told him, the only thing I told him, I said, you have a chance to mold them and have an impact on them the same way I did when I came over to Atlanta in 18. We came off a losing season as well, and all those guys were young. So you have a chance to put a stamp on them and show them the right way. How they go about their business as big leagues each and every day.
0: Yeah, he. I was kidding him. I said, "You make sure the old man buys you dinner now when he when the Braves show up."
1: Well, I think it's time for him to take care of Daddy now. I'm (laughs) I'm the retired one. You know what I'm saying? So no, but uh, it's great because when when the ticket comes out, we fight over it. So it's a good thing. And I'll be like, "Okay, son, I'm gonna let you pay for this one," but Daddy don't like that. He said, "Daddy's gonna come a point where I gotta take care of you anyway." So let me start right now, and that's that's I give him the ticket. Then
0: you made the right choice. People may not remember this, but you were a football player too at Rutgers, which is in the Big Ten. That's a whole other subject, which I know that I, I know you hate that. Uh, but uh, how good a football player could you have been? Uh,
1: I, you know, it, it's it's unknown exactly how good. I just remember if I matched up well, especially against linebackers, I was going to make something happen. So. My size played a big role in it. Uh, I would have to be used effectively in the right way, and that's something Rutgers did in my last two years especially uh, in getting me in situations where I can go up against linebackers and make a move, and and I was getting the ball. So... I don't know. I don't think it would last long like it did in baseball, for sure. Uh, two, three, maybe. Cause the body was definitely not feeling good in college, so I knew it was gonna be rougher in the NFL. So, yeah. but no, I, I, I made mean, I, you're right. I made the right choice. Uh, so happy about it. But I knew it was the right choice when I hit my first two collegiate at best with home runs. I knew it was baseball. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. Yeah, yeah. It was football was done. I just had to fulfill my scholarship, but it was done. I knew it. So. Uh, Yeah, that was some intervention right there. I knew it was time for me, which route
0: I was going. I think you made the right choice. Hey, EY, it's always great catching up, my friend. Um, Continued success. You guys are fun to watch. Uh, I wish it wasn't coming at the Rockies' expense right now, though.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much, Drew. It's a pleasure always coming to Colorado and seeing you as well. Thank you.
0: Love Eric Young, love that staff in Baltimore, led by Brian Snitker, who's as humble as it comes. He's a baseball lifer, so close with Henry Aaron, who gave him his first opportunity with the Braves over 40 years ago. And when he first became manager of the Atlanta Braves after coaching and managing in the minor leagues forever for the Braves, he was still living, I believe the story goes, in his, with his wife in his son's you know, basement. Here he's a big league manager and he's living, you know, in his kid's basement. Doesn't live in the basement anymore. Uh, he's done a great job. But there's so many ties to uh, to the Rockies with uh, with EY on the staff and with Walt as uh, Bryant Snitker's bench coach. And I know EY, as you heard during the interview, so, so proud of EY Jr., who was a good big leaguer also and is now the Washington Nationals' first base coach. Uh, great family. Great family. Uh, Always love uh, seeing EWOT. Uh, Before we check on out of here, how good are some of these races in baseball? Like in the AL West, as we taped today on this Wednesday, there's a three-way tie, basically 130 plus games into the season. One month to go, there's a three-way tie for first place in the AL West, between the defending world champion Houston Astros, the up-and-coming Texas Rangers, and the surging Seattle Mariners, run by Jerry DePoto, a former Rocky. It's amazing. It's amazing. And for those, I, I love to chide those that, that weren't big on the wild card, or maybe weren't big on adding a third team. It's awesome. The National League right now the Phils look like a lock. They've come on. They were in the World Series last year. They've had an extraordinary second half. They look like they're going to make it as a wild card. Nobody's catching Atlanta in the East. But uh, the Phils are are up a, a fair amount right now for that first wild card spot. Then you have the Cubs, the Giants. Arizona's a half game back. The Reds are two games back with a y- really young roster. Miami. Shockingly, just three games back. I mean, every night there's a bunch of must-watch series. That's, you know, that that's in the National League wild card and the American League. You know, Baltimore and Tampa in the East. That's going to go down in the final days of the season. It looks like Baltimore's two and a half up on Tampa. Toronto, who comes to town this weekend to take on the Rockies, they're in the wild card chase. They're on the outside looking in right now. These races are awesome. Really terrific, and we've had some unbelievable individual performances. We talked about Ronald Acuna Jr. We We're having this debate on, on television. They're having it everywhere. Who's the NL MVP? Is it Acuna Jr.? And that looked like a, a done deal a, about a month and a half ago. Freddie Freeman looked like the closest pursuer. Now, I think you can make a case that maybe very slightly Mookie Betts is leading the race, then Acuna then Freddie Freeman, and then Acuna's teammate Matt Olson. Great, great race. So it's not just the team races, but it's the MVP race in the National League that will come down on the final days of the season. And that's all you can ask for. I mean, it's awesome, awesome stuff. Last thought on on Denver and fully arriving as a big league city. You know, going back to EY's accomplishments. So after '93, the City had three teams, and then just a couple years later when the Quebec Nordiques moved down to Denver and became the Colorado Avalanche, you now had four major league teams, the four biggest sports all represented. When, when you have a city that represents all four leagues, you're big time. You've arrived. And that's why what EY did in welcoming in the era of major league baseball to our city and to our state and to our region. That's why it will be forever unforgettable. That'll do it for this edition of the podcast. Tell your friends and uh, keep on listening. We appreciate you. My man, Marky, uh, taking care of business, is always editing uh, the show and putting it together. Big uh, kudos to Marky. We'll uh, talk again in seven days. Stay safe. Stay well, everybody.